Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. So today I have on the show a gentleman by the name of Murph Murphy, who is the author of a fantastic book called The Aloha Money Machine. Now, like you're probably getting a sense over recent months, a lot of the people that I meet is because I put myself in different rooms. I change my environment. And it's one of the things I say that if you want to change your life, you've got to get yourself into rooms where you're meeting other people. And often, you know, you know, if you're the biggest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I like to get myself into pretty huge rooms. And so in one of those occasions, I met Murph and literally we sat down next to each other. He asked what I did. I asked what he did. And, you know, we both scale businesses. In fact, Murph has been very successful in scaling his own business, selling that, making some money, you know, reaching that point of financial freedom. And then he has turned that that knowledge, that experience, that expertise into helping others achieve the same. So his book, The Aloha Money Machine, you know, he talks about, you know, building a business that can be sold even if you have no intention of selling it. So that's one of the things I, I definitely talk about a lot on this show. And it's a nine-step formula for creating a business money-making machine. And the reason I like this book and the reason I like the way that Murph has approached it is there's a lot of focus on cash. Cash flow is the lifeblood of business. And it's right to say that even if you're doing, you know, your business, your passion, your mission for things that are above or beyond just money, and that's absolutely cool, to be successful for it, to be a business, you've got to get the financials right. So what we go into today is that playbook, the book, how you do it. And as I said, there's a lot of synergy and a lot of commonality in terms of what I advise on this show and what Murph has personally gone through and what he advises in his book. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Murph Murphy. Hi everyone, it's Nick here and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Today, I am delighted to have business strategist, author, Murph Murphy on the show. He is the author of a fantastic book called The Aloha Money Machine. And we are going to get into that today because I think a lot of the stuff that he talks about in the book around business growth strategies around those sort of things is absolutely applicable to what we talk about on Scale Up Your Business. So welcome, welcome to the show, Murph. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to being on this show for a while. And, you know, this is the, the in business, you always think about the target, you know, target rich environment. And this is it. Your show is just like, <laughs> it's, it's my people. So let's share how we met. So uh, we were at an event together, basically a conference around influence. And these days, obviously, you know, how you leverage social media and having a voice and how you can help people using those various I suppose media vehicles is such a big thing. And we randomly sat next to each other and said hi pretty much, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not much, not much believe, more than that. I don't not believe in, um, no, I don't believe too much in, uh, in luck. I think sometimes these things happen. But when we were talking, obviously we talked about your book, what you're doing. I was talking about what I'm doing here and obviously the podcast. And we thought too much, too much similar stuff going on that we better, we better kind of get together and have a chat about it. 
Exactly. And, and what we chatted about earlier is that, you know, really it's about those, those uh, conferences. It's really about networking and getting in front of people that have the same type of interest or that can benefit from your subject. And that's what really it's about. Yeah, I, I say often on, on the show that if you want to kind of get somewhere, it's obviously better to kind of learn from others who have been there and had either the same success or, or mistakes, you know, so therefore you can kind of circumvent kind of, you know, all the mistakes that you could make. But it's always about your environment and just, you know, changing changing the room you're in, you know, getting into a different room and just having different experiences. So that's what we did. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. No, it's great. Well, let's get into it. So first and foremost, we'll talk about your book because I said there's some great stuff in, in that. It's going to be very, very applicable to um, to the audience here. But let's just talk about your story if we can. So kind of, you know, how you've how you've got to where you are and and, and why why the book, etc. Sure. Yeah. So uh, business, I'm just a huge fan of business. I've always liked business because business is the equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money you have or where you come from. It's it. It can even the playing field. And if you have the right focus and you have the right desire, you can be successful and you could be wildly successful. And that's what I just love about business. It's really the sky is the limit. So I love, love business. I'm a hardcore entrepreneur. I've had seven businesses in my lifetime. To be honest, a lot of them failed, but one of them actually did, did really well. And I was able to scale that business. I was able to grow that business and then eventually sell that business. So I talk about that in the book. But when I was a little kid, I think I have to tell you that story. I was born on Molokai, Hawaii, yep. which is a really small island on the Hawaiian chain. And I was born, my dad was a Paniolo, which is a cowboy. He tended uh, cattle and grew weed in the hills, surfed when the waves were up. And then my mom uh, made her own clothes. It was a real simple life. But for That's my mom- fantastic was, already. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound good. It Does sounds sound great. Good. But for my mom- it was a little slow. So they actually went to the mainland and the mainland is um, the United States, but as a whole. So um, the, all the other states, but not Hawaii is considered the mainland. And so we went to the mainland, San Diego, California, and my parents got a divorce and it was a hard time. If anybody has ever grown up in a house that has been split, it's a tough time. So I was having a tough time, but I was really having a tough time in school. And I was falling behind all my classmates and having a real difficult time. I would find out that I had a learning disability and I had uh, dyslexia. I was di diagnosed as having uh, dyslexia, learning disability. And at the time, a lot of teachers and parents, they didn't really know how to handle that. So I was put into classrooms where there were severely handicapped, mentally handicapped students. I mean, they were... They were drooling, they couldn't talk, they couldn't form a, a sentence. That, that was my classmates, that was my peers. I was doing the same work as, as those people. And in my mind, I always thought, man, I'm, I'm so much, I'm, I'm, I got this huge desire to be successful and I, I want to create something. Um, and in my mind, I, I am smart, I am smart. And it was from that moment, I made it my destiny to really focus on what I needed to do to be successful. And I really found that that business would be my outlet. Wow. Okay. And so let's just talk, I mean, there's a lot in that. So thanks for sharing it. But if we go back a step into, you said you had a number of failures and then a success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about the failures a bit because I think you can learn a lot from yeah. those. What, what, yeah. what, what businesses were they and, and what happened? I guess the, the, a really good failure that I have to share is that 
I had uh, connections with a furniture store, a few furniture stores. And they were, at the time, they were buying these Tommy Bahama lookalike lamps and accessories. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to find out where these accessories and lamps are made. I'm going to find the manufacturer and I'm going to bring them back and sell them to these furniture stores. So that was the plan. And what I did was I found a interpreter to take me to China because I, I found that the, there was a few factories in China. I didn't know anything about China. I don't know how to speak Chinese. I didn't even really know where these factories were on the map, but I found this person to help me kind of navigate. And we went there with the intention of finding this factory with Tama Bahama lookalikes. And I, I, we went over there and I don't know if you've ever been to China, but China is a very, it's a, it's a really foreign type of, uh, um, you know, like a culture, what I was compared to. Everything's a little different. And at the time there was not, not too many tourists and especially there wasn't a six foot white tourist. And so I was definitely, um, you know, definitely kind of out of my element. I didn't really know, you know, the, everything about it. And we went to a couple factories with armed guards and um, it was very intimidating, but finally we found a factory and I was so happy. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is going to be great. I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to bring these lamps over. It's going to be great. And I met with the president of the factory and she said, you know, we can sell you these lamps, but we got to sell it to you in quantities of hundreds. So, you know, I said, Oh, I don't know if they're going to take a hundred, but you know, I was so excited. I put, I spent all this money. I said, yes, let's do it. I'm going to find a way. And um, long story short is that I got a container of about four items with each of them were multiple hundreds. And so I was so excited. I met with the, the furniture stores and the furniture stores, they had about four different stores. And so I was so excited. And I said, Hey, I got these great lamps and I showed it to them and they said, Oh my gosh, this is great. We'll take four of them. And I was like, Holy shit. They're going to take four of them. I have like 400 <laughs> left. And um, I just didn't, uh, I didn't think the process through it. And what I should have done is I really should have figured out who was going to purchase and really establish those contracts before I even bought. But I was, I was in the moment. I was, you know, an importer. I was going to be this great importer of Tommy Bahama lookalike monkey lamps. And it just didn't go the way I want. So I sat on these uh, monkey lamps in my garage for years. I would sell them at swap meets. I would try to establish uh, connections, <laughs> <laughs> connections with uh, stores. It, it just uh, it didn't work. The, it was a failure to plan, and I paid. And so it, it, the learnings, though, I mean, a great story, by the way. And have you still got them? Have you still got like a couple of lights? I still got, now? yeah. Yes, I still have a few monkey lamps uh, hanging around. <laughs> oh, well, it's a good reminder. I suppose you must look at them now and go, that's not how to, how to grow and scale a business. <laughs> it's not. It is not. It, it was a failure to, to plan. And um, okay. I, didn't, okay. I didn't think it through. So you kind of, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs get emotionally um, drawn in, if you like, you know, they kind of think, and I say this a lot, there's two things that really kill a business from my perspective. One is not having a solution to a real problem. So the entrepreneur thinks their idea is the best idea, but it doesn't actually solve the problem for anyone who's prepared to pay for it. Right. And then the second thing is uh, people poorly manage their cash. And we'll get into some of that. They don't really understand cash flow. They don't understand about how to think about a profit first mentality. But it sounds to me, as you tell that story, you thought there was a great idea. <laughs> you got excited when, when you went to a factory and they said, hey, yeah, we'll do something with you. Um, and then there wasn't really a market for it. There wasn't. There wasn't. And I mean, I, I could have pursued that market and became, you know, a sales rep for, 
for these monkey lamps. I could have done that, but that wasn't my intention. It wasn't what I was um, initially thought that, that I would go. And because of that, I didn't pursue it. But I, I could have went that way, but it was, it, it really uh, put, a, put a wrench in the monkey. <laughs> monkey, monkey wrench, I, 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 I see the parallel. And so, okay, so that's, that's a failure. What about, you, you said you, you got one of these, one of these ideas works, right? You, and right. you sold that and, and you, you mentioned beforehand that you, know, you, you got to a quite a good level of, of fi financial freedom, if you like, from this. So, mm -hmm. so what worked that time? I mean, obviously you had a few, a few attempts, <laughs> so that's always right. good. Right. And you didn't give up, but just right. take, tell me about the success. Well, let me just tell you the backstory real quick. When, when I found out that I had a learning disability and, um, you know, it, things were coming down around me. Um, I found out that my middle, I have a, a, a beautiful Hawaiian middle name, Mo Nui, which actually means big chicken. And it, big chicken. Big chicken, right, in Hawaiian. Okay. So I had a learning disability. <laughs> my parents were getting divorced, and I had this middle name, big chicken. You know, what could get, be worse than that? But the the shining light of the whole thing and, and the star of this book, the person that I write about in this book uh, called The Aloha Money Machine is my great-grandfather. And my great-grandfather was super successful, uh, next level successful. He was the guy that had a Learjet before anybody else had Learjets. He was doing business in Asia before anybody else was doing business in Asia. He actually had the largest GM dealership in the whole entire world. And that was in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I, tell, I talk about his story so he was this bigger than life character. And even though, you know, things were looking bad for me, I always saw him as the guiding light that if he could do it with the same blood as me, I could do it. And cool. that was always my guiding, my guiding light. But I'm going to tell you though, that there was no family business. There was no inheritance. He was this bigger than life guy that spent all his time uh, making money and building businesses, but he failed and he lost it all. Uh, before he died so if you want to know that story buy the book but it's a it's a great story but i didn't have i didn't have any type of uh, support or leg up so i had to start from from myself um actually the the first business that i had was was successful um and how it started was didn't like i said i didn't have any money i dropped out of college college was not for me school was not for me i was seeing people that were go, uh, graduating from college and they were just they're coming out of college and not really knowing the direction. And I said, man, I'm struggling in college. I'm not going to come out of college and struggle some more. So I decided to quit. I opened up my own business. And the one thing that I had was I had a truck and I've always been strong. So I thought moving furniture would be a great avenue. So that's what I did. I started a service business. It was just me. I was delivering furniture. And as time grew, as time went on, I grew the business and bought a truck and employees, and it was going in a direction where I could really scale the business. And I was, I was, I had some um, credibility, and people uh, knew who I was. I was getting some some direction and some some focus on the business. And so, I was at this level where, okay, I need to hire more employees. I need to get more trucks. And there was an opportunity when I was delivering furniture, and I think every business there will be some opportunities, opportunity costs, where you have to pick which way you want the business to go. And so as I was delivering furniture, I, I also noticed that I was, I was getting, there's only so much that I could lift and so much I can do. It was, I was getting burnt out. And once I was delivering this furniture, I had this opportunity to do furniture refinishing. 
and which actually refinished the furniture. And what I found out is that I can make a lot more money sanding and refinishing furniture than I could for deliveries. So within a few days, I changed the whole business from furniture deliveries to furniture refinishing. And that's exactly what I did. Um, but when I decided to change the direction of the business, I really made a focus that I would not be the sole person to run every single element of the business. I would build a business that I could walk away, away from if I needed to, because um, I, I found out that if I was the sole person to run the business, I didn't really have a business, I had a job, because you know I couldn't walk away from it. And obviously it wasn't sellable. No one would wanna buy a business where the, the owner works 100% of the time, all the time. So I took this, next business and I really thought about how am I going to scale the business? How am I going to build the business? And what I did first, there's three things that I learned. The first thing is that I learned that I needed to develop systems with the business. And those systems, I had a system for invoicing, system for customer relations, system for refinishing. I mean, there's all these systems that I developed. And then once I had the systems, I could teach them to my employees. So that's exactly what I did. So I teach it to my employees where my employees can work now. And I wasn't the sole person that did all the work. So that was the first thing. Did is anyone that, um, teach you that? I mean, or did you just work that out yourself? Did you have a mentor or anything like that at this point? You know, I saw successful. I've been around business, you know, like I said, my whole life. And I, and I, um, I studied what businesses were doing and what worked for certain businesses. And I figured that I need to develop something. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I just basically – you know, very casually um, wrote down what the daily, you know, tasks were. And then I divided those tasks into segments throughout the day and to be more pro productive throughout the day. So that was the first thing that I did. Uh, the second thing that I, that I found out was that I had to use my time in the highest and best use of time. Although I was a great sander of furniture, what I really found is that my best and highest use of time would be actually talking to customers because the customers are the person that write the check, you know, and, and, and there's no other person that would sell the business better, you know, sell the job better than the, the person who has everything on the line, you know, that is the business owner. So I figured that the, the second thing that I needed to do was really find out my highest and best use of time. And just to talk about that, a little bit as my business grew and as I was able to scale my business, I found out that um, if I talk to hotels or if I talk to um, um, restaurants, if I talk to those type of people, I would make a lot more money. You know, those establishments have 200, 300 pieces versus just the one, two pieces from a regular homeowner. So I found out that that would be my best use of time in, in that moment. Uh, the third thing that I, that I found out is that I have to stabilize my income. And that was a big one. That was a really big one because I was really following the roller coaster of revenue. I would make a, a big sale, you know, maybe we would do a hotel or um, a restaurant, re refinish their furniture. And then I make a big sale and then I would be kind of in this kind of in, in this kind of uh, water where I was trying to figure out my next move and trying to get more uh, business. And so I needed to figure out a way to stabilize my income. And what I did was I offered a maintenance program to all my customers. 
And once I did that and they signed the maintenance program, my business changed. I was able to um, really see the, um, really able to see a business as an asset, a business of worth. And once I did that, I had a business of value and, and a business that I could sell. And that was something that someone would want to want to buy. And that really sounds, changed. As, as you, if I can just jump in for a second, it sounds, you know, quite iterative. I mean, it really, really, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, there's a, I'll add some perspectives in a second in more detail, but it sounds quite iterative, but you know, you, you were very conscious and aware of things and then you tried stuff out and then you started to get, you know, success from, you know, that momentum, if you like, um, with not a lot of, kind of you know it wasn't like you set out on this path was it it doesn't I, i'm not hearing that you had this vision of creating an empire and selling it for millions it well kind of yeah well I, I i my whole intention from day one is that i had this grandfather and uh i didn't really explain what his whole mentality was his whole mentality was to grow business businesses that you can sell that was his whole mentality and as he got bigger and as he became wiser what he did was he would buy businesses in the red and then sell them in the black. He was all about building businesses that you could sell. So I saw this, I, I had this bigger than life grandfather and he, his whole intention was to build a business that you could sell. So that was my, my whole premise that I would build this business that I could sell. And so I did things to figure out ways that it was a sellable business. So that was in your in the back of your mind, that was the vision all the way along was your programming from a young age had been that thinking. Right, right. I saw the Got end. It. That was the end game was to, to build a business that I could sell. Wow. Okay, cool. And how long did it take you from beginning to end to get, you know, from the, the start to the to the exit? It was eleven years. About five years is when I uh, developed the maintenance program into it. Um, and it was a great it was a great uh, gig because there's low competition, which is really good. And that's the thing too, is before I got into the furniture refinishing, I really, I really research what my competition is. And then I research what the materials and the costs were. If I bought in bulk, could I lower the cost? And it all made sense. So that's why, you know, I went the direction of, of actually doing the furniture refinishing. Fantastic. Okay. Well, listen, I want to get into, into a bit about the book if we can, sure. um, because I think that that's a cool story. So ultimately you, you know, you got to what most people who are listening to this, to this podcast, you know, want to get to, they've created a business of value. Um, I always say um, assets are the most important thing. In fact, I had a guy on recently, a really quite prolific um, scale up and entrepreneur specialist, a guy called Daniel Priestley It's definitely worth looking at some of his books because he, he's a big believer that income follows assets. And, and, you know, he, he talks about creating businesses that have all different types of assets. Sometimes they can be IP, they can be content as opposed to more fixed assets and things like that. But it's, it's a massive transition. So congratulations, firstly. I mean, obviously, you've, Thank you. you've done it. I'm sure your story and the way that you've just described that will be inspiring to many people on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the time, I just I thought that it was common knowledge to build a business that you can sell, even if you have no intention. But what I found is that it's not, it's not common knowledge. People don't really see a business as building an asset. They see a business as creating a job that gives them the same type of income that maybe they had 
previously for an employer. Yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of a lot of times people kind of I know start businesses when they haven't got a choice. Either. So they're coming from a sometimes a position of you know absolute despair. They have to do something to generate an income, and sometimes that I, I quite like that as well because when you're really hungry, you need to you need to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but a lot of people also who who go into this a little bit blindsided give up too quickly. You know and and often the time, you know, people who are successful in this game, it's about persistence and about consistency as much as it is anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people, people ask me all the time, you know, what's, what's one thing that you could tell me that really, really would help me survive in business that I'd be successful? And if I could just tell you this real quick story yeah, about a shark attack. It's actually about yeah, a shark attack. Well, it's not a shark attack about you, is it? No, it's, a, it's actually a friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. But that would be a better story. But it's, it's a with a friend, and it's on the Big Island. So I was uh, raised on the Big Island of Hawaii. And uh, I have a friend that witnessed a shark attack. And he was at this, at this valley on the north side of the island. And he was surfing with his girlfriend. And it was a, it was a great day, you know, lovely day. There was a nice surf. And he was sitting at the lineup, and his, and his girlfriend was maybe about uh, half a meter away. And all of a sudden, this big, huge explosion just explodes out of the water. And he sees a fin. Uh, the, the, his girlfriend is, you know, shrieking in, in terror. She dips under the water for a little bit. She pops up. She's hysterical. He paddles over to her and finds out that, yes, in fact, it's a shark attack. The shark is circling her and already took one bite. I think it from her arm and her leg or one of the two. And it already took one bite, it's circling, and is about to take another bite. He jumps off his surfboard, he swims down, he actually punches the shark. This is what he's telling me, he's punching the shark. The shark takes off, comes back, and he, he hits it a few times again. And then they go, they go to the shore, his girlfriend lives, he, she had a bunch of stitches. So he was telling me this story, and I said, well, I surf. What can I do to make sure this does not happen to me? And he says, well, there's a common uh, a thought that if it's a cloudy day, that's where the sharks are. Or if it's by a uh, waterfall or stream, that's where the sharks like to hang out. But he said, it's a beautiful day. There's no streams. There's no, none of that. He says, it's a beautiful day. And he says, if a shark wants to bite you, it's going to bite you. And you have no, there's nothing you can do. By the way, shark uh, attacks are very uncommon. So I don't want to. Say that sharks are bad. Sharks are good. <laughs> you forget part who you're talking to. I, I come from a place called South Australia, which has the um, the, the the most, or certainly the the most uh, uh, stories around great white attacks. And nice. and I've I, I've got I've got many a surfing story I could share. So so don't worry, you're in good company. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Great whites are are um, yeah they're they bite first. Ask ask questions later. Well, there's so, only ever one bite usually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those are big sharks. This was a tiger shark. Uh, so I was asking my friend, I said, so how can I uh, make sure this doesn't happen to me? And he says, if, you know, if a shark wants to bite you, it's going to bite you. And that's just the way it is. But he says, if you want to survive, you have to fight that shark. You have to fight that shark. If you just let go and you um, pretend you're dead, it's going to come and eat you. And he says, the only way you survive is it, that you got to fight. And I really bring that back to business, is that if you really want to survive in business, you have to fight. You have to fight. You have to look at business in a certain way where this is uh, possibly a legacy, possibly your family's legacy. 
and this is the way you feed and, and provide for your family. And you have to fight for the people around you. And, and I really think it's very similar to um, approaching a shark attack. Business is no joke. If you want to survive, you've got to fight and you've got to use strategy to, to be successful. Is that, and is that one of the learnings as you reflect back on your success? I mean, you showed up every day, I take it, in that business and you performed. Showed, showed up every day. Yeah. And that was a big part of it. That was a big part of it. I talk about in the book how uh, I had a friend that was a mortgage broker and he was making 50000 uh, a month. Uh, and he was, he was really successful. I wasn't making 50000 a month. And he says, hey, quit what you're doing and come work for me. And it was very tempting. I had employees. I had shitty employees. And I, I was like, man, that's, that, could be, that could be really nice. But I thought about it. I thought about, well, what if, you know, what if something happens to the economy? What if this, you know, this uh, mortgage inflation, if, if it stops, what, what will I do? And then I thought about it and I thought, well, I'm going to build my business. I'm going to build my business and work on my business, even though I'm not making 50000 a month. What I'm going to do is I'm going to work on my business and build something that, that I could sell if I wanted to. And that turned out to be the best decision that I've ever made. Cool. All right. I love it. Well, let's get into the principles then, because obviously you've now said you're now moving more into the world of business strategists, trying to help others, you know, kind of on their journey from the, the experiences that you've had, which is great. You know, having, having sort of the failures and the successes that you've had is, is, is a fantastic um, grounding and blueprint, if you like, to, to kind of, you know, be able to do what you're doing now. So what was the motivation for the book? The motivation of the book was to help uh, um, to help people think about business in a different light, and to maybe stop the roller coaster of business income, the highs and lows, um, cash flow. If you really break it down, the number one failure, the reason why most businesses fail, is because they don't understand the cash flow. They can't get the cash flow right. It's either real good or real bad. They they don't have any consistency. So my intention for the book is to really paint the picture that. Hey, approach it as an asset. Approach it like you're going to build something. And then if you do that, maybe you'll really think about ways to stabilize your income and really build something that will last. So that was the, is that, that, one, was of the, is that one of the key principles that you talk about as well? That's one of the key principles. It's really build a business that you can sell even if you have no intention of selling. Okay. And what do you think is different? So if the psychology, and just, just to get into this, because because there's two schools of thought here. <clears throat> and my background, as you know, is, is buying, building and selling businesses. So I'm very much about the exit. And some of those exits have been pretty substantial to, to some large private equity firms. But there's two schools of thought, right? So some people say um, you shouldn't focus on the exit. They say that you should just focus on making an amazing business. So be really present about the customers, about the competitors, about solving a problem, you know, the, the day in, day out stuff. And if you focus there, you're going to end up with a great business that's valuable. And then you've got other people who say, think about the end game. Think about the fact that, you know, your whole motivation, your why might be to, to create something so valuable with so many assets that it changes your life. You know, your family, you know, it could even change your whole family for generations, particularly if you're the first person to get to that point of, of wealth creation. Absolutely. Where do you stand between those two? Or do you reckon they're similar? I mean, they're, they're quite different ideologies, but how do you think they work yeah. together? I think it all depends on where you are in business. I think that's number one. Um, if you're a startup business, I talk about the highest and best use of your time in the book. And really, if you're a startup business, you should not be, you should not be focusing on a daily basis to build an asset. You, that should be, not be your, 
uh, primary objective. Your primary objective should be to make money. That will be the business success. I mean, that's what you need to focus on. But I always think that you need to see the end. No matter where you are in business, you need to see where your business will go. Because the fact is, if the business survives, you're going to have to exit that business one day. One day, you're going to have to exit it. It's either your kids are going to take care of it or you know, you're going to have to sell it or there might be a partner dispute. One day in your life, you're going to get too old, too crusty, and you're going to have to exit that business. So why don't you see? Why don't you see your business? Where is your, what does your business look like when it's that time to exit the business? I always think that you have to have the intention. But you need to, to you have to have the intention to uh, build a business that you can sell. But you need to focus on if you're just a startup company, you need to focus on making money on a daily basis. That should be your highest uh, and best use of time. That should be your main objective is to make money and really figure out where those people are that are going to buy your product. Really um, understanding your message, getting your message to the right people who will purchase your product. I think that's. That's number one. But yeah, there is two, two school of thought. Um, an, an example that I could give you is that if I go to dinner with my wife and we have two kids, so you know, an, a date night is very rare. But if I plan a, an event with, with my mom, with, with my mom, <laughs> with my wife, if, I plan a, <laughs> <laughs> if I plan a date with my wife, my intention is to... Um, at the end of the night, I want to, um, I want to be with my wife. You know, I want to have intimacy. (laughs) This might be too much for a podcast. We're we're very open here. You can talk about anything you like. (laughs) So, so that's my, that's my intention. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing the, um, when I'm on the date, it's, it's about being present, about, uh, being there for, for my wife. And I want to, when I go into the restaurant, I even have the intention of what we're going to talk about. How am I going to feel? What am I going to look like, you know, to her? Am I going to be smiling? Am I going to be frowning? What am I going to look like? I think about those things. And even though, you know, we're, we, we haven't even got the main course of, the, of our dinner yet, it is an intention. I'm putting my intention out there from, from at the start, from the very start. So I think it's, it's very similar to business is that you have to have an intention to build a business to sell. But you don't have to focus on that on a daily basis. You have to focus on the different stages of where you are in the business and then, and then take your business to the next level. Um, that's the way that it would make sense. Cool. I mean, what I, what I, I mean, my, how I teach what I do, I feel like when people come in and need some help with it, I, I sort of focus on those two areas. So I talk about having a big vision. You need to have a big, and that big vision can be about contribution as much as it can be about wealth. You know, it doesn't have to always be about making money, but you know, the the foundations of freedom do come from you know being financially free. Certainly, from my perspective, because money gives you choices, right? But then the other thing I sort of talk about a lot is, you know, when you set goals, your goals are not necessarily the same as your vision. Your goals can be very specific. You can have goals that can be annual, but then you need to break them down into ninety day plans. You know, ninety day um, you know, things that you can implement and execute. And then they become weekly things that you can implement and execute. And then they become daily things. And all of a sudden, you're making progress every day on the bigger things, but you've chunked it down so you're seeing the results in real time. You know, right. even if those results aren't big, you know, it could be something very small. It could be that I'm making 10 sales calls today. I may not close a deal, but I know but if I keep doing that consistently over time, it's going to get me to the outcome. 
Yes. So, yep. so I do talk about both areas, but I agree with you. What you said there is, you know, it's not necessarily about being fully focused and intentional all the time on the exit, but you have to have it somewhere on your horizon. It's going to be somewhere in the exactly. frame. Exactly. Another example, like a farmer, you know, a farmer plants that first seed. He can see the farmer in his mind. He can see the harvest before he even plants that first seed. He can see it. He can envision what the harvest is going to look like before he even plants that first seed. And really, it comes down to um, having that vision, having that vision. But planting that seed, you, you know, that that's not he's going to get him a, a, a plentiful harvest. He has to do all that. He has to water it. He has to tend to it. He has to trim it. He has to prune it. I mean, it's not. It's not like he's just going to sit back and just wait for the harvest. He's got to do a lot of stuff in between before planting, from planting that seed to harvesting his crops. There's a lot in between that you need to do, but that should be the vision, like you said. The yeah, vision. Nice. I like that. I like that because I do talk about, you know, you don't expect to see the results. You know, a tree isn't going to suddenly sprout up the day after you plant that seed. For example, you know, you've got to take care of it every day. I like that because I think people do forget sometimes that, and, and most of the time in scale-up particularly, where I said to you beforehand, before we started to, to record the interview, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are right in this, I call it the pit of despair. You know, another colleague of mine calls it the wilderness or no man's land. But there's a point where you've done a lot of work and you're time poor and you're cash poor and you don't really see the horizon. You don't see the benefit. And that's where, you know, I say that was a figure 90% of, of small businesses fail or something like that. And a lot of it's because people give up too early. Um, because they don't quite understand the, the, the importance of vision or the importance of the end game and mm -hmm. then the importance of making daily progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's get into, I mean, you've got in your book, because I want to kind of go into it because it's very good. You know, I think there's a lot of principles that are going to be applicable to people listening here, but you've got nine, nine steps. Is that correct? Nine steps. Let's go through them. We won't have time to go through yeah. them all in detail, but I think what would be useful is let, let's go through, you know, the key parts um, around how you create, you know, a valuable business. Certainly, to your point, a business that is is so valuable that it can be sold at some point if if someone right. chooses to do so. Right, right, yeah. So I have the a nine step formula. the The problem is that businesses, a lot of businesses, fail. The solution is to um, use the Aloha Money Machine formula, which I used and which was basically the formula of my great grandfather that was super successful. Um, so in this process, there is actually, I have this pyramid. It's called the Noble Rich Pyramid. And on, I don't know if you have that, Nick, uh, the, the copy that I gave you. I don't know if you have that. But I haven't got it in front of me, but I went through it. But I, I, have, you, have, you, have you got a review? I got an early copy. I was lucky. You got, a, you got a really early copy, yeah. So I'll send that to you. But basically what it is, it looks like a pyramid. And in the, at the very base, with the, the biggest part of the pyramid, it says start. So that's where you need to uh, start your, that's, that's like, that's where you start your business. Is that One like step. taking action then? That's just like, you know, that, don't, don't hesitate. Don't think about it too much. He who hesitates is lost. Just, just get going. Right, right. It's, it's, you made us, you work at McDonald's and you made a decision. I'm going to start my own business. That's the start. And then this, the next one up is that you need to, you need to plan. And I really think that you need to plan for the end. Um, like my great grandfather, he planned for the end, planned from the end, from the beginning. That was his, that was his vision. Um, the next one that I really think the, 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 the premise of the book too, it, it really, the Aloha money machine, the, the, the name money machine, I've always resonated with that because I like the idea of your money making money. 
not you making money, but your money making money. So I always no. like that premise. And I really think that you should develop a business that does that. But the, pre- the, but the, whole, the whole kind of thought process behind the Aloha Money Machine is that you need to focus on the money. No matter where you are in business, even if you have a nonprofit, that business will not survive without some type of income. So you really need to figure that out. And that's the number one, that's the number one step is that you need to, you need to follow the money. Where is the money going to come from? What are you going to charge? How much do you want to make? And then break that down to how many sales you need to make in that year to obtain your goal. But you really need to figure out the money. Um, the next part of kind of finding the money is finding your customers. Where do your, where are your customers? Where do they interact? Are they online? Or are they at the grocery store? Where, where are they? Find those customers. I always think that it's a better to um, locate these customers and attract these customers than to advertise to this huge general population. Really try to find those target customers. For example, when, when I first uh, came on the show, I said this is a target-rich environment. This is exactly your audience is, is the exact people that would purchase this book, that purchase a book on how to grow a, a business. So um, thank you for going to be on this uh, target-rich environment. Um, the next one that I really think is important is you got to be able to craft your story. Now, you have to be able to tell your story in the right manner where people are really interested in it. Anybody can say, you know, um, I, I'm a um, real estate agent, but how are you going to say it in a certain way that entices people to use you? You have to say it in the right light. Um, I really think that that's one thing that people should really uh, pay attention to. And that's the number one question. If you go to any parties or engagements, number one question is, what do you do? And you need to learn how to say it in an effective way because that will translate into all your marketing. If you're able to tell people quickly what you do and how it benefits them, then you can advertise that to a big audience. Um, the, ne- the next step that I got is you got to uh, build the system, which is very similar to what I already talked about. You have to figure out what's working in your business and then write it down. Build a system for each task. And then once you have these systems, you can, you can give it to your employees so your employees can uh, use it. What I would suggest is after you've written out your system is really to network with your employees and maybe brainstorm on how that could be a little bit more efficient. I would say every quarter, take your system and redo it. Redo it to see if it, maybe there's some different ways to streamline the process. So that's a big one. Um, the next one is higher writing. A lot of people... A lot. I'm, I That's was, a good one. That's a good one. I, I, I've seen so many people, you know, make mistakes that can take them back six to twelve months if they, for example, bring in a big hitter salesperson, thinking that person's got a black book that's going to be able to do everything, and then they realize straight away that person can't sell a thing. <laughs> right. 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 A lot. Yeah, I have. I have a story of I was helping a, a real estate broker, and he wanted to grow his business. He wanted to uh, grow his sales team, and so he hired four agents. And the agents would come into the office and they would brainstorm on new ways to get the message out and online advertising. 
And the broker stepped back after two months and said, hey, I'm, I'm not making any sales. I'm not increasing my bottom line. And what he did was he found out, he did a personality test, and he found out that these four agents, they were more like visionaries. They weren't the, the, the salespeople. And so he fired them and hired four salespeople. He did a personality test to see exactly where they fit on what he needed. And he found out that, um, he, that if he hired the right kind of personality, then his sales would go up. And that's exactly what happened is that his, that's cool. sales, like that. yeah, his sales instantly went up. These people, these salespeople were not afraid of picking up the phone and calling and making those sales and earning that commission. They weren't interested in the big vision or, you know, um, what it's going to take to do the advertising on Instagram or Facebook. They wanted to make calls. They wanted to close deals and his sales went up. So I would say hire the right person. If, um, if you are looking for a salesperson, you're looking for a marketer or a general manager, you have to understand what would be the best personality type for that. And then another thing too, is that I think culture is really important. You got to learn the culture and you have to express what the culture is of your business. Is your business, why are you in business? why did you start business? And if you can do it in an effective way, you can teach it to your employees. And if the employees know why, why they're there, then they can share that with to their customers. And that will make a big difference. But hiring people, hiring right, oh man, that's, that's caused a lot of headaches. I say uh, people of- often ask me what's the difference between startup and scale up. And I say it's the ability to build and lead a team. Yeah, because let's face it: when you're starting up, you can sit by yourself in a in a garage. <laughs> but when you're building a performance business or an empire, it's all about not just the employees; it's suppliers, it's relationships, it's the network around. But it's the ability to build that team, whatever that team is—the direct team and the wider team—and the ability to lead and influence them, and motivate them, inspire them. Well said. Well said. That is absolutely right. Um, oh, so, okay. in- getting, getting a good idea. So we're getting to the, we're getting about halfway through the pyramid. Uh huh. We're <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost there. Um, the, the next one is to, um, to really network. I, I really believe that network, that face-to-face is a lost art, but it yeah. really will build your business. And sometimes just telling your story and to people that you don't even think that they're a customer, sometimes that leads to other avenues and referrals. And I mean, it's, it's really sharing that, sharing that uh, passion. But collecting that information, when I had my furniture uh, delivery business, my number one goal, and I, and I don't know why I did this, but my, my number one objective was to take that, that uh, customer's information and put it in my database. I know most companies, especially furniture uh, delivery businesses, they weren't doing that. But that built my business. That really helped me because I had, by the time I started my furniture refinishing, I had 500 people, 500 people that I could call on and ask them if they'd be interested in the furniture refinishing. So I really think that, you know, your database, they say that uh, gold can be found in your database. And I really believe that you have to um, really work that. And as a leader, you know, that could be the highest and best use of your time is really working your database and figuring out who could be a partner, who could um, I provide this uh, asset, who could I provide this product to? I think that's really uh, important. Um, the next one on the Aloha Money Machine formula is to manage the system. Now, people get 
they lose track of how to manage a, a, a system and how to manage their business. Really, the numbers. The numbers are so important. I really think that you have to pay attention to the, to the numbers um, on a daily basis. I think you need to really figure out where the business is. Numbers won't lie. If your accounting is good, numbers will not lie and it will tell you how many units you sold, how much it cost you, and then you can see the health of your business on a, a daily basis. Most people don't think about that. Don't think about looking at their numbers until the end of the year, which is, in my opinion, I think that's far too. Yeah, I, I I resonate with that with the people I work with. It's not. It's funny. Um, some people like to look at numbers, but they're looking at the wrong numbers. So that's one. That's one issue. Some people are just not numbers people, and. What I say to them is I, I, I wasn't a numbers person, right? So I was, you know, I've got certain skills, but one of those things or one of the things that I get energy from is not numbers. I had to taught myself that, right? Teach myself that. And now I love them, right? And I can run businesses from multiple locations virtually by, by having an understanding of numbers. Mm-hmm. So I, I, never, I never let people off the hook. <laughs> I, it's, you know, if you want to get freedom, if you want to have wealth and have businesses that run like machines, you've got to be great with numbers. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, uh, my, my grandfather, he had 50 plus uh, businesses in the book. There's a picture of, of my great grandfather and he's standing behind, um, he's standing in front of a map. And then on the map, it's a world map. There's all these little post-its and there's 50 plus post-its. And those are all the businesses that he was involved in. When you get to that level, especially there's no way that you're going to be able to go to each business on a daily basis, a weekly basis, even a yearly basis. You can't go to all those businesses. But you can you can pay attention to the numbers on a daily basis, and that was really that really helped his success. Cool, got it. All right, so we're almost at the end. Okay, yep. so we're at the top. Yep. One more. <laughs> one more. So so the last one is highest and best use of time. I think the highest and best use of time should be in every single element of your business. You should really figure out where you're going to make the biggest impact in your business. But when you get to a higher level, um, my my uh, rich grandfather, that's what I call him in, in the book, his higher level was to, to network. His higher level was to get in front of his top employees, his top managers, and really be a part of their um, kind of daily operations. He, w- he would call them on a daily basis or see them. Um, that was his highest and best use of time. And then also, too, when he got to the next level of buying businesses in the red and then selling them in the black, his his daily job was to find businesses, find businesses that were failing. And that was his highest, best use of time. Um, when he was able to do that, then he can separate himself from his business and become more of a wealth generator than, uh, than a business, daily business owner. The last, the last step in the, the pyramid, the noble pyramid, is financial freedom. So financial freedom means a lot to a lot of people. But what does that mean? For my grandfather, it meant that he had an opportunity to make more money. So that was his whole objective was make more money. So he got to the top. He got to, the, um, to where he would free himself from his businesses, where he could really focus on what made him the highest and best, what made him the most money on a, on a daily basis. And his highest and best use of time was to find those businesses for sale. What I found was that if you are strictly following money, if that's your end goal, you know, the noble rich to, to uh, achieve noble rich, your end goal is to make more money. 
you won't be happy. And that's what I found with my own business is that I built this business and I worked really hard at it. I sold it. And my next move was to start another business and do the same thing and do exactly what my rich grandfather did. But what I found was that money was not giving me happiness. Money was not giving me happiness. And I wasn't interested in buying the, the fanciest car or the biggest house or any of that. It, it didn't make me happy. And so for my noble rich on the pyramid, financial freedom is basically having cash flow and time to enjoy it. Fin having cash flow and time to enjoy it. That's basically my definition of noble rich. Nicely and, said. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. And so, so what I did after I sold my business is that I decided that I would help people. I decided that I'd help people in business. And um, that's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book to help people with business. And then as far as the cash flow, the money that I got from um, selling my business, I invested in real estate, other businesses, uh, cash producing assets that help that consistent cash flow, allowing me the freedom to do what I feel like my highest and best use of time is, which I get so much joy from help, helping people, especially business owners, because business is um, it's near and dear to my heart. Well, wow. you know what? <clears throat> that is an awesome, it's an awesome story. I can see the full circle of how you've explained that, you know, in the you know, almost an hour that we've been talking. So let me summarize a bit if I can, you know, because there's a couple of, there's some key takeaways. I didn't want to kind of cut in too much as you were talking because it, it kind of all made sense to me. But, you know, I, there's a lot of commonality with what you said and what I've done and what I do. And I believe that, you know, if you just focus on money, if you just focus on that, you might have what is perceived to be achievements, certainly um, external success and validation, but you will lack fulfillment. And the reason for that, and there is actually a psychological reason for that, is that as humans, we, we both, we, we need, if you like, we all need to have a level of personal growth. Um, and we also need to have a level of contribution about giving back. It's kind of what the human, the human spirit is around. This is certainly a human need. And most people don't realize that. And I like the way you articulated the, the fact that when you do get to a point of freedom, particularly cash freedom, so you have the ability to, to not have to worry about money, then it opens up a whole different playing field potentially in terms of what you can give back. And I think money these days, it's, it's one of the things that causes so much stress. Lots of relationships break up because of money. Lots of friendships end because of money. Lots of people get sick because of money. You know, they, they make themselves sick because of stress and things like that. And I think, you know, you're 100% right that if you can kind of be really focused on, on getting yourself to a position where you feel you are free, the finance piece doesn't become an issue. It just opens up your mind to be able to do so much more. So I like that really, really nicely positioned. And I can see certainly from the book and kind of how you've articulated that today on the show, that that's certainly what your kind of purpose and mission is as well. It is. Absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a legacy. If you're able to give back and um, be a part of good, it's, it's your legacy and it will carry on and hopefully it will carry on to your kids. If you have them to your spouse, to, I mean, to your community. And then hopefully that carries on because really, you know, it'd be nice to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. I agree. Well, let me leave you with one last question because you've been um, it's very generous with your time. We've gone through a lot. It's been great. Um, so go back to when you were not quite as successful in, in the business that you ended up selling and you were kind of in the struggle or in the, in the wilderness. 
what's one bit of advice you can give to any of our listeners who are probably feeling that they're in that place today? So after I, I sold my business, I was, I was on the high horse. I thought that everything that I touched will turn into you know, gold. It would be successful. And I found out that that was not the case. I, um, I read the four hour work week for, by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And I thought that I could, <laughs> it's a great book. It, it screwed me up though, but it, uh, you know, I thought that I could delegate everything. I felt like I uh, didn't have to struggle. I felt like I, I earned this success and I don't have to go back and I don't have to struggle and I don't have to, um, you know, lower myself to that because I've been successful. And what I found out was that the businesses that I got into after I sold my business failed. And the reason why they failed is because I was too proud. I did not believe that I needed to struggle, but I really think that the essence, like the shark story is that I think that you need to, you need to fight, you need to fight and you need to get out there and you need to, if you're a real estate agent, you need a door knock. You know, if you're a salesman, you need to, you call those cold calls, which is not, it's not fun. That's, that's not, that's nothing to be fun. You know, that's not fun, but I think that you got to get out there. You got to be present. You got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You got to do public speaking. You got to be, you got to be out there. And if you are, you'll get noticed. And then another thing that I want to leave the, the people that are kind of in this wilderness is that you need to focus on your highest and best use of time. A lot of people spend so much time on their Instagram profile, their um, website, learning SEO, all this stuff. When you could just hire somebody from you know, Upwork or Fiverr or something for a minimum cost, let them do that, delegate that, and you really focus on how's your money generated? Where am I going to get money from this business? And then, and then attack those, those uh, people. Go, go at those people with all you got, just like that shark. Fight, you know, fight. Get in front of them and sell your product. That's how you're going to make it. Okay, lots of, lots of great learnings in there, um, Murph. So, listen, thank you very much for coming on Scale Up Your Business. I'm sure, um, as I said, we'll put some uh, links to your book and kind of how people can reach you in the show notes, so that's cool. Um, but uh, as I said, I think you've given a lot of value today. And as I said, I always love to bring people on who have got different perspectives and different experiences because it's, it's funny, as I've done you know, multiple episodes now, I'm starting to see a really consistent thread all the way yeah. through. I'm going to have to do a summary episode very soon where I actually go through that because I think I've got a very clear picture of, of what it takes now across multiple conversations. So, yeah. so thank you for your book. It could be my book. No, no, there that is a book coming. Book. There is a book coming. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, no I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, my website is uh, Aloha Money Machine, www. Aloha Money Machine. You get on Amazon. You have the links. Um, and, you know, it's uh, business is tough. So, learning from people who have already done it and have already gone through, it will shorten your learning curve. That's for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, Nick. 